Our first reading this morning is taken from Philippians chapter 3, uh, verses 7 to 14. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The second reading is taken from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Because of my love of music and I guess discussion around music people always say to me will you come Queen's University have just asked me to come and talk about movies 
and I really don't do the movie thing. Not because I don't want to do the movie thing, but because I'm not really too up to date with movies. I don't uh, go to the movies, and so usually when it comes out in DVD, we wait even then until it gets down to £3. And um, when it's got down to three, Ballamina man, Ballamina man, um, when it gets down to three pound, we see it years later. But um, if I could, I'm sure there would be more movie illustrations, like this morning's, um, was it 1989, Dead Poet Society? Some of you weren't even born. Uh, most of you were, but some of you weren't. And um, what a movie. It was uh, kind of grabbed people's attention on all kinds of different levels. Um, and um, certainly for me, it grabbed the attention on the very level that I want to talk about today because um, as we got into late Friday and early Saturday on this sermon, anger disappeared um, and uh, went into next week's sermon and I decided to hang into this idea of sloth, sleuth, whatever you want to say it. And it seems to me that John Keating played so wonderfully by Robin Williams in that movie, was completely anti-sloth. He was speaking to these guys and trying to get them to live a life that was not going to be um, just getting through, but was being extraordinary. And there's wonderful movies where he tears the pages out of the poetry books and stands in chairs and does all kinds of things to to grab people's attention. It's really, I suppose as a preacher, you kind of go, that's a good idea um, here and there. But there's that moment where he brings all the boys down to the the front of the school and he gets them in front of the, the winner's cabinet. We've already been talking about, you know, the winners who think they're winners. And uh, he gets them in front of all those uh, the American football or baseball wouldn't it have been rather than the rugby that it might be if it was Inster Methody or um, Ballymena Academy. Uh, not just as many photos there, but there's a few. Um, we've won it since Methody. So, um, so he brings them down in front of all the trophy cabinets and all that kind of stuff. And he says this to them. He gets them to look at the guys that were there the guys before them, last year, the year before, 10 years ago, 100 years ago, or however long ago it was. And he says, you know, they're not that different from you, are they? Same haircuts, full of hormones, just like you. Invincible, just like you feel. The world is their oyster. They believe they're destined for great things. Just like many of you, their eyes are full of hope, just like you. Did they wait until it was too late to make their lives even one iota of what they were capable? Because you see, gentlemen, these boys, it wasn't the boys from a year ago or 10 years ago, obviously, um, from this line, these boys are now fertilizing daffodils. But if you listen real close, you can hear them whisper their legacy to you. Go on, lean in. You can see it, they all start to lean in. Um, He has them. Lean in. Do you hear it? And then he starts saying, Carpe. Hear it? Carpe. Carpe Deum. Seize the day, boys. Make your lives extraordinary. There's a sense in Dead Poet Society of not living the average life, 
Not conforming into even what your parents might have wanted you to do, but to find out what you're on the planet to do and then do what you're on the planet to do to the best of your ability to do what you're on the planet to do. It seems that in that, we might find our deepest spiritual fulfillment. Not getting by because that's a secure job. Not doing this because it's just the respectable thing to do. But finding what it is that is our contribution to this planet, what we're made for, and to do that to the nth degree. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you might have life in all its fullness. The Bible on sloth. Proverbs 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It is no commander, no overseer, no ruler. Yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. Now we could go on that definition of sloth and not that I would want to argue with the scriptures but it would seem as if you put it in context of what Jesus meant. He wasn't talking here, the proverb wasn't talking here. Well, Jesus, when he came, talked about something slightly different than that. Was it a contradiction? I don't think it was. He said, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? When you read that part of the Sermon on the Mount, you're saying to yourself, well, it's not about just the Protestant work ethic here. It's not about just being industrious that the Bible's talking about when it talks about our sloth. It's not just laziness. There has to be something slightly more to it. And I think that comes out in uh, Eugene Peterson's The Message. I've read that a few times for us because when he comes to this bit in Matthew, I think he just grabs it wonderfully. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things, but you know both God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality. God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. It seems to me that we could be steeping our lives in God reality, God initiative, and God provisions, even when we're not filling our diaries with things to do because we're frightened of being sluggards. It's not about the industriousness. It's about what we focus our life on, are committed to do, and are doing. Let me read as I did last week, and he's a little bit longer in this one, um, Frederick Beekner. Sloth is not to be confused with laziness. Lazy people who sit around and watch the grass grow may be people at peace. Their sun-drenched bumblebee dreaming may be the prelude to action or itself an act of well worth the acting. Slothful people, on the other hand, may be very busy people. They are people who go through the motions, who fly on automatic pilot. 
Like somebody with a bad head cold, they almost have lost their sense of taste and smell. They know something's wrong with them, but not wrong enough to do anything about it. Other people come and go, but through glazed eyes, they hardly notice them. They're letting things run their course. They are getting through their lives. And I'm back to Dead Poet Society. He didn't want them to just get through their lives. And if we bring it into church, in this Easter week, Jesus did not ride into Jerusalem on a donkey for us just to get through our lives. He did not sweat as as blood from his forehead in Gethsemane for us just to get through our lives. He did not pay the ultimate sacrifice for us just to get through our lives. However, in the world that we live in, I don't want to discourage a little bit of idleness because there is none. Children are out, most of them. And so I can say, but my children, they are bored if there's not people in the house or there's not a computer on or a television on because their lives are crammed with things that they are always doing. Get Janet or Rose to say to us on a Sunday night, let's be quiet for 10 minutes and we don't know what to do with it. Idleness might just be an important part of our spiritual action. I think I quoted Brendan, Brenda Eulen uh, the other week. Ian Archer used her in his seminar on songwriting, what artists need. Imagination needs noodling, long, inefficient, happy idling, dawdling, and puttering. Now, when did you last hear those words as just everyday family, let's go for a little bit of inefficient, happy idling? I think it's time we had a bit of dawdling and puttering. What? It's puttering day. We need to be always, whereas we need time to think, to listen, to imagine before we act. Not that it should become the laziness of never doing anything, but as part of our commitment, it might be important indeed. Having said all that, I read one writer who said, sloth is a major theme in our land. We're a culture of the complacent, a community dedicated to leisure. For most of us, our diversions distract us more than they restore us. The spiritual issues are enormous as we find ourselves busy with things that have no eternal worth. We have made religion of sloth. Now I think that's the other side of it. We can be industrious. We can be doing things all the time. But are those things distractions or are those things investments in eternity? What do we invest our lives in? What are we committed to being about? It became very noticeable among students in my latter time at Queen's 
that if you ran an event, if there was nothing else on, they would come to it. We had a huge issue one Sunday evening because, uh, what's that car program? Top Gear was on right in the middle of our worship time and they couldn't miss it because it was the one where the crash took place. And we had all this changing of events to make sure we fitted in with what was on the television or leisure. That's when I go to the pool or I'm at the gym that time or there's a concert on, or we need to see that movie and it's the opening night and I don't want to see it the second night because everybody has spoken about it if I don't see it in the first night. And if those things aren't on, ah, Bible study sounds all right. Now, I'm not saying we should be at Bible studies every night either. Spoke to a minister who said blessing would come to his congregation. I said, how do you work that out? He says, our elders are out every night of the week. And I said, you think God's happy with that? They have families, they have neighbours, they have a city, they have friends, and the elders are out every night of the week and you think that's good? So we're trying to balance here between what we see as our eternal commitments, our eternal investments. What are we about? And as I said earlier, Philip really challenged me last week with this thinking about Jesus. Not on a military horse, on a donkey. Not lording over people, washing the disciples' feet. Now that's action. That's commitment. That's not automatic pilot. That's not getting through. That's the God of the universe coming to earth as a human and living life in all its fullness. And then he says, follow me. Now, there are the two words opposite of sloth. Follow Jesus. Follow me. On Facebook this week, Cheryl Maben, my former compatriot in chaplaincy, put up just this. It's a prayer for the farm, work, farm worker's struggle. And as I read it, I thought, whoa, that's not sloth. That's following Jesus. It's a prayer that says, show me the suffering of the most miserable so I will know my people's plight. Do we want that? It'd be easier just to get through, wouldn't it? Do we want really to know the suffering of the most miserable? Even in the congregation, never mind in the city, never mind in the world. Show me the suffering of the most miserable so I will know my people's plight. Free me to pray for others, for you are present in every person. Help me to take responsibility for my own life so that I can be free at last. Grant me courage to serve others, for in service there is true life. There's another word that's an antithesis of sloth. Service. That may actually also be an antithesis of leisure. Service. Leisure's a very self, and I'm not against leisure, by the way. I'm not against watching a good football match on a Saturday afternoon. I'm not against playing golf. I'm not against watching golf. No, but what I'm saying is that in the balance of our lives, is it mostly service or is it mostly leisure? 
And if we come to a Fitzroy audit, we have an immensely talented community. We have an amazing amount of ideas spinning around your heads. But we're not full-time. I am, you're not. So our resources are minimal. So just as a little bit of an audit, leisure, service. The discovery team in their audit suggested that we tithed to the neighborhood our gifts and abilities, whatever your gift and ability is. 10% of your time to this neighborhood in whatever way we could see if we could make it happen. Could we have that? It might mean you stepping back from some of the things you're doing in church because your gifting maybe is something that could really benefit the Holy Lands or the Lower Ormo or Botanic Avenue or the university. But what we need if our vision is going to move forward is a real sense of commitment to service. And the reason I encourage you to do that is that I believe as your pastor that that's where you're going to find your deepest spiritual satisfaction. Grant me courage to serve others, for in service there is true life. Jesus showed us what it was to be fully human. And fully human was a donkey, not a military horse, was washing people's feet, not seeking our own self-indulgence. It was dying in other people's place when he had no reason to die. Follow me. Lean in. Hear what he has to say. Sleuth, it seems, is losing sight of the need. Walking past without noticing. Sleuth is when you don't give your contribution. When you're living an apathetic life. It's a good life. I'm a Christian. I'm going to heaven. That's great. And I don't swear and I don't drink and I don't smoke. And I don't beat up my wife or my husband. And I I really don't steal from work. And I do my time. and, And really I'm not doing anybody any harm. And as I always say, neither are you doing evil any harm or the devil any harm or injustice any harm. Because we're just nice. My English teacher taught me the greatest spiritual truth. Never use nice, she said. We don't want to be nice. We want to be focused and committed. How are we towards the environment? Would we have left it the bottle? I know you would, Jack. But would we? We could test it. I could say to one of you now, go out the front. Are there any bottles? But more than that, recycling, oh, recycling. Oh, you see that? Oh, just it's not making much difference, me. Or fair trade. Oh, to have to go to the co because I can't get it and tell, oh, really? Peace, my Clonard Fitzroy's there, but sure there's a wee grip doing that. How's our desire for change? How's our desire to make sure there's not another Ronan Care? 
How's our desire that our children's children's children might have some of the resources that we're basically being gluttons on? But are we really? I mean, preach it, Steve. We're with you. But what about action? The title for the talk today came from a an old friend of mine from, he's an Anglican minister now, and he had a song way back in the early 80s when we did it, um, outreach campaigns, and it was red hot, stone cold, what's it to be? And it was based in Revelation chapter 3, where the commentators will tell you they were incredibly industrious. They were full of their wealth and they had all their stuff, but they were lukewarm. They were sitting and it was nice. They weren't doing anybody any harm. And they were getting through on automatic pilot, on the momentum of something they believed. And Jesus is saying to the church, come on, I don't want you to be lukewarm. I don't want you to be nice, red hot, stone cold. What's it to be? How's our commitments? Isaiah chapter 6 that Francis read for us. God comes and atones for our sin. Takes away our guilt. Happened for Isaiah in that chapter, in that moment, in the temple. We remember it for us this holy Easter week. And when it's done and he's atoned for and he's forgiven, God turns and says, world out there needs a new kingdom. Who'll go for us? Who'll go for us? And Isaiah says, here am I, Lord. Send me. He could have just taken his atonement and gone back and lived a nice life and came to the temple every now and again and give his sacrifice. But no, that's not what God was asking for. It was more than that. Philippians chapter 3. Want to know the power of God's resurrection? Yes. But then it says, and sharing in his suffering. Could be apathetic towards that, couldn't we? But it's there. Follow me on the donkey, onto your knees, washing the feet. Not my will, but your will. Death and a cross. Follow me. Sharing in his resurrection that we'll celebrate next week, yes. But sharing in his suffering. Let me finish with one quotation. There's a band called the Water Boys. We're tempted to do a gospel according to. We'll have to see. It wouldn't be a, a big gospel according to, be one of the minor gospel according to's that you maybe have in the springtime. They have all kinds of songs, and Mike Scott's um, an interesting character. He's a kind of a, I would call him, um, and people would, would question my theology, but I'm using it poetically. He's on the Christian edge of the New Age. So you could be talking to Mike Scott and you could be getting some really Christian answers and then suddenly he'll have you down shaking hands with the pixies at the end of the garden. And you're going, whoa, where did that come from? It's a kind of, that kind of spirituality that Mike has. But as a result of his, the Christian side of it, he's steeped in C.S. Lewis and George MacDonald. Those were his favorite writers and his favorite books, The Great Divorce. So as a result of that, his spirituality is underpinned with Christian imagery, etc., etc. So you get a lot of amazing uh, stuff out of the poetry of his lyrics. And his mother was an English teacher, which I think um, 
brought itself into play with some of the gifting of his lyrics. And he has this song called Medicine Bow, and I think that's a place in America somewhere, but it's full-on rock assault. It's like you definitely wouldn't really hear the lyrics too well if, uh, if he did it here. In fact, um, he went through a phase where he was just doing acoustic music, and that was the time when Caitlin was just in the womb and Janice was probably about seven or eight months pregnant. We thought we could go and make Scott because it's nice and mellow. And we got into the Empire and had a full-on band. And it was like, we don't, Caitlin doesn't like loud rock music ever since. And we reckon that's where she uh, had the aversion to it. But on that night, as he was singing this medicine bow, it was a song I'd known for 10, 15 years maybe. 10 years anyway. And I just didn't get it before. But he was singing and just out of the madness of this noise, I heard these words. I'm going to change my colors, cancel my things. Stop my squawking and grow some wings. Well, I will not sleep. I will not rest. I will put my soul and my will to the test. I'm going to tug at my tether. I'm going to tear at my lead. I'm going to test my knowledge in the field of deeds. I'm going to test my knowledge in the field of deeds. Can I suggest to you, just as one aspect of this, that we have a field of deeds right around us here at Fitzroy. And all that we've sung this morning and read and thought about and watched and listened to however I've tried to articulate it is our knowledge. We have a lot of biblical knowledge. We have a lot of creedal knowledge. But what we need to do is we need to test our knowledge in a field of deeds. The first Christians were not called Christians because they believed certain doctrine. They were called Christians because people saw Christ in them. So let's not go into this area and call ourselves Christians. Let's go into this area and wait for people to call us Christians. Let's test our knowledge in a field of deeds. Lean in. Lean in and you might hear them whispering to you. Carpe diem. Or this Easter week, lean in. And you might hear them whispering to you. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that this Holy Week might be a time for us to reflect. Yes, Lord, we may be heading off. We need a rest. Easter is so late. We're tired. And we need that time to be idle, to putter, to dawdle, to restore. But I pray, Lord, that in that we wouldn't lose the opportunity in our liturgical calendar to think through the passion of Christ. And as we do, that we would ask ourselves, are we committed to this? Or is it just something we know? Is it just something we've heard that makes our lives nice? Or are we committed to the following? pray that we would hear your spirit 
whatever way our week pans out, in work or in rest, in busyness or in idleness, that your spirit would whisper to us and give us the courage to serve others because in serving others we follow you and find our deep spiritual satisfaction. Please, Lord. Please, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.